Hi, welcome to Leadership with Randy. I'm Randy Powell. Today you're listening to Lessons on Leadership, our weekly conversation with inspiring people sharing some of the stories and lessons from their journey. Now me, I'm traveling across the country. I have a very large sales territory, and I couldn't figure out why really nasty folks were coming up to me and making suggestions or showing up at my room or calling my room. And I spent a great deal of time yelling at hotel front lobby desks for dare you give out my number? How dare you give out where my room is? Only to find out that the person I was talking with who claimed to love me at home was online soliciting this type of abuse toward me and telling people where I was. Our guest today is Carolyn Hammond, founder of Safe in Harm's Way, an organization providing resources and hope to individuals experiencing domestic violence, and also Epizon Strategy Solutions, where she trains companies and groups how to provide their teams the resources and encouragement to create a safe environment. Carolyn's an author, speaker, podcast host, and highly accomplished business leader who translates her own personal experiences living through domestic violence to help others find the courage and resources needed to make their way to safety. You can learn more about her work at carolynmarklehammond.com. Now let's go talk to Carolyn. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to see everyone. Great to be together again on a uh, cool Kansas City morning. But but we do have folks from other parts of the world that have joined too. So, um, you know, the weather's different all over for, for us, but we're here together. It's going to be fun and a great conversation. I probably met Carolyn Hammond, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago, and uh, just was blown away by her energy and the work she does and her care for others. And um, she has a fascinating story and her work is so important. And it's really become even more important when we think about what's gone on over the past year. Uh, with folks spending more time at home, uh, sometimes work was an escape from home, and and they've not often been able to escape. So I think the uh, the trauma in folks' lives has only been magnified, and that's made the work that that Carolyn and and her team do that much more vital. So welcome, Carolyn. I'd love for you to just spend a little bit of time and tell everybody about you and your journey to safe in harm's way and to becoming an author and a speaker and all of the things you're doing. And then we'll uh, dive into to some of the work and how relevant it is both for individuals and for uh, businesses and organizations. Thank you, Randy. I really appreciate the invitation for today. I'm so glad to be on this call with a collection of leaders and people dying in, dialing in to have really authentic conversations around the workplace and domestic violence. And I'll start out by saying a couple qualifiers. And statistically, we know that probably up to 43% of the people even on this call in your world, in your workplace, could have experienced domestic violence over the course of their lifetime. So I will say that's what we're talking about in case that's going to hurt your heart a little bit or maybe trigger you in some way. I wanna make sure that everybody knows we'll be discussing that. And we'll discuss all the tentacles of abuse that go along with that. So again, wanna make sure that we're all on the same page of what we'll be experiencing today. And the big part of what we'll also be talking about is my story. And I identify as female, I use those pronouns, but I also know that domestic violence affects men and it affects people who are transgender, gender fluid, people in the queer community. So I wanna acknowledge all of that and the usage of pronouns because what I don't want is the message to be missed just because of the pronouns I use. So first of all, because I am my father's daughter, I have put into the chat my connection for LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with everybody. And if you wouldn't mind putting in the chat where you're dialing in from, since Randy said we're all around the world and I know one is Saudi Arabia, I'd love to know it within the chat where you're dialing in from so I can get a good accurate read for who's all here. So my story, I have spent my entire career working for billion dollar brands in Fortune 500 companies. 
I've been in sales for the majority of my career and also have a master's in leadership and development and then an also a master's in human resources and development. And so I've been able to take those tools and I've trained thousands of salespeople and achieved, helped them achieve success. And I've achieved, I, I, a couple of weekends ago, I started to tally up because I am a data geek and because I do keep diaries. I mean, if you want to know what I did in the seventh grade at the Rick Springfield concert, I could also tell you that, but I keep all my journals and diary and data. And I started to tally up the number, the amount of money I've made the corporations for which I work. And I stopped a few years back because it was a little overwhelming at $175 million that I've made over the course of my sales career for other people. Now that's, that was something for me, which was, you know, a little bit of fireworks in a marching band level cool. It also made me realize that as I have pivoted over the course of my career, and I have devoted time and started an organization, a nonprofit called Safe and Harm's Way, and then also started a company that actually works with employers in building their collateral, their policy, their, their tailor-made solutions for the employees facing domestic violence. If I can make $175 million for other companies, I'm going to take those same skills and invest it in helping people in the realm of domestic violence and then how those survivors show up in the world. And most importantly, as a community, how we can address people and offer them the resources they need based on what we do at Epizon Strategy Solutions and what we do at Safe and Harm's Way. So there's my little spiel to start off. Is there any questions? If you have them, pop them in the chat and I'd be happy to answer them. Corda Vallarta, welcome, Mary. Welcome. Okay. We'll move on. Um, so my story, I talked about making um, money for other companies. And at the height of my career, when I was, and this is in 2016, I was number one in the nation in my sales organization, an international company called Sanofi uh, Pasteur. They make vaccines. You may have heard from them, about them. And at that point, I had been in an eight-year relationship and I was about four weeks away from my planned and paid for wedding. When I discovered the very secret life that the person who looked me in the eye and claimed to love me was issuing against me. Now that person had a very, very nasty habit of putting my picture and my name out on the internet. He told where I worked, he told where we lived. And each of these email correspondence that he had with strangers on the internet started out with, my girlfriend has no idea I'm doing this to her. And he would offer me up to have sex with whoever he put out into the world on the internet. And without my consent and without my knowledge, he belonged to a group that discussed how to be able to drug your partner and watch while she was raped. Now me, I'm traveling across the country. I have a very large sales territory and I couldn't figure out why really nasty folks were coming up to me and making suggestions or showing up at my room or calling my room. And I spent a great deal of time yelling at hotel front lobby desks for dare you give out my number? How dare you give out where my room is? Only to find out that the person I was talking with who claimed to love me at home was online soliciting this type of abuse toward me and telling people where I was. Interestingly enough, since I have escaped him, all that has stopped within my travels. So the end result was to facilitate my demise. Now, when I discovered this, I had an option to flee right away, but I also knew that I was tied to him financially, owning a house together. We did not share kids. He is not the father of my children. And 
I decided instead to create a safety plan for escape. And that took me about 10 days to craft. And it took me about seven months to implement. And during that time, the realization of what had been my life started to fall in place. If you can imagine this puzzle piece of disjointed ideas and worries and sadness, and then all of a sudden, everything started to make sense. Everything became crystal clear of the abuse that had been issued against me all along because of what I discovered on this computer. So my choice then, because I didn't know resources and I couldn't properly identify, was to get very, very small and very, very quiet because I didn't know who I can trust. He lived this complete secret life. He was corresponding on the internet to strangers. These people had been to my home when I traveled to check out our home. I didn't know who to trust. So I got very, very small. And when I did that, I learned a lot of things about myself and I learned a lot of things about my family. Gosh, my kids are amazing. My daughter's here. She just popped up. So they fueled everything to make it work. And it really, in leaving, what that meant to my family is I had to travel from place to place to place because I knew what I knew about him. And I was very afraid that since I knew those things, that he was going to kill me. And so I moved from place to place to place. Again, the number one salesperson in the country, making my, my company at that point, I went back and looked $12.5 million during that tenure. And I was changing clothes in the hotel lobby restrooms because they are the cleanest places. If I wasn't traveling and I was living out of my car and I had to work, I'd go to a hotel that was near um, and a local hotel in Kansas City and I would change clothes or put on my makeup, um, re-put on my makeup because during the course of the day, I would have to go to my car and I'd cry between calling on customers and I'd reapply my, my makeup in those hotel lobby restrooms because they're the cleanest all the time making that money for my company. And my children, uh, while my daughter hosted all of us at one point in a tiny seven, uh, seven people in a tiny one bedroom apartment, our family was gelling together, but I often didn't stay with them for fear um, that I, he would find me there and harm all of us. And it was during that time of getting small and quiet that I decided that there will never, ever, ever again be another woman like myself, another woman, regardless of the level of, of job she has or what she does for a living, that will endure the same kind of treatment and the same kind of abuse without knowing what the resources are. And so that was March of 2016. And then in around about June, July of 2016, I started to write about it. And slowly I creeped back on LinkedIn. And slowly I decided to use three pillars. I used confidence and I used patience and I used the truth to start to tell my story. And that's the, the first birth of Safe and Harm's Way and what it has evolved to in the past several years. Well, let me pause there. Let me see, are there any questions that anybody has? And they can pop in the chat or Randy, where, what can I ask for you, sir? Yeah, if you if you have a question, let me know in the chat. We'll unmute you. Um, I don't know. You've told me that story before, and I'm just stunned every time you tell me. How did you get to a point where you created safety around you and your kids? Because you're obviously very public and very visible now and not hiding. And mm -hmm. so how did you create that own safety net around you where you could demonstrate the courage you do today? Great question. And we teach this to survivors when we talk to them and we work with them at Safe and Harm's Way. I use my sales skills. Um, I reached out much like you do with customers. You know, you have the people in your customer base that, you know, the 80-20 rule. Um, and I looked at that, you know, that 80% that of your business is coming from 20% of the folks you 
you, your top customers. Well, I thought, who are my eight smartest people in the world that I know? And I'm going to tell them my story and I'm going to tell them a preface it to say I could be, a, because back then, while I can get teary-eyed now, um, it gets less and less. But back then, I was a sobbing, snot-nosed mess of a person. And I, it was so bad, I had to write my name on a post-it note. And I had to write what address I thought I might be sleeping at that night on a post-it note because I couldn't remember who I was and where I was going. So I had to write that all down. And when I, when I did that, when I reached out to the eight smartest people and said, here's my story, here's what I'm currently dealing with, who, how can you help, what advice do you have for me, and who's the person you think I should talk to next? And that's when we talk to survivors. We do a three-pronged sales approach. We say, I am really concerned and I need your help. This are the two things I need right now. These are the two things I need right now. The set, that's the first part of the equation. The second part of the equation is of course, gratitude. Thank you for helping me. I appreciate you giving me this information. And the third part of the equation is, who do you think I can talk to next? Because what we are doing at Safe and Harm's Way and Epizon Strategy is we're giving employers their tools. We're giving survivors their tools. But what we need is the two arms of, of those, those particular tentacles to come together and meet. We need that employers or a community at least has a couple resources to offer someone. Because statistically, folks, they're in your life. And the most beautiful, amazing, compelling people who achieve great things, you would never know what they've lived through and what emotional and physical and psychological bruises they hide from home when they show up in the world every day. So we wanna make sure that everybody has two resources, do this, do these two first things. And we wanna make sure that survivors can speak to people in a way that gives them control. And that control is just a three-part step. It's a three-part dance that we, we teach folks to have those conversations so that when they do have the conversation, folks can respond because I do believe, and I know from experience that people wanna help. It's a little scary when you show up and you're screaming, crying and you're snot nosed. So if you can gain control of yourself, if you can gain control when your world is out of control, then you have the ability to effectively communicate and then also hear what's being said so that you can then act on it. So those are the foundations. That's why the second, that's why Epizon Strategy Solutions was, was founded is the realization that within the community, if I can help not only survivors, but I can help the community, then we win on all fronts. And the beautiful thing of that is I wouldn't have even thought about Epizon Strategy Solutions had it not been being public with the work of what we do with survivors that raise the noise and the awareness within community and employers so that people come to me now and say, I recognize this in my aunt. I recognize this in the tenant I went to. I recognize this in my coworker. I've given her two resources. And that was never anything I anticipated. And so because of that, and because of the work that I've got to do uh, in creating programming around domestic violence for employers, so working with Boston Scientific, working with the United Way, working with Missouri Youth and Need, working with the Judges Association that covers all of Missouri Circuit Judges, and then also planning, we have an international program that we're doing with Boston Scientific in Costa Rica, and we have um, IPG Health which is an international healthcare and pharmaceutical company that's coming on board with our training and solutions. So being able to raise awareness has been vital. And let me, let me kind of take that to as leaders, what can you do? And as leaders, where, where do you go to? And I'm gonna pop into the chat, another link. And here is our link for Safe and Harm's Way. And I'm gonna put this in the chat. And you can find it there. And it also links directly from there to Epizon Strategy Solutions. And there you can have tools 
that you can provide to folks and sign up and, and, and see, you know, we do little things and we do big things, but immediately we want to be able to offer on our website solutions that at least one solution you can say is go here and you'll find everything you need as a survivor or as a person navigating abuse at um, Safe and Harm's Way. So you have that as an option. And that evolution of community intertwining with survivors, oh my goodness, I firmly believe is gonna change the world. I really do. Um, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. If you, I'll give you a, a throughout, I'm gonna give you a few statistics and I'll pause and see if there's any questions because that safety net that I created is what expanded those eight smartest people I talked with gave me the ideas and solutions to bring forth what I could do for my healing. And I started documenting for everybody else. So that's where now these resources come into play. But if you wanna look at the evolution of domestic violence and what it cost employers, back in 2008, the CDC said, we think that domestic violence and all its tentacles um, cost 5.8 billion. Now, again, folks, I'm going to be quoting billion dollar amounts. And that was in 2003, um, that, that 5.8 from the CDC. Now, in 2013, Forbes came out with a study and it went from 5.8 to 8.5 million dollars of an economic cost to employers and to the community. Now the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence did a study back in 2017, and they looked at the economic impact and it was risen, it had risen to $12.6 billion. 32,000 jobs lost to the effects of domestic violence. And I'll pause here because what we do at Epizon Strategy Solutions is we take case studies to identify, let me tell you what, how that looks like with jobs recently worked with a nurse at a major corporation, a healthcare corporation in Kansas City area, and she lost her job. She lost her job because every single day, the abuser called her work and filed false claims and made false accusations, or he in general just harassed her employer. Why would an abuser do that? Why would an abuser force one source of income to be eliminated from his life. Well, an abuser does that because it means she won't leave. If a person does not have a job, then financially the impact and ability to leave is high, people stay. And the abuser would rather have someone stay in the relationship than go to work every day. The other thing he did was beat her significantly in the hopes that she wouldn't go to work. She went to work and she got to me because her, her employer had done some education with us and he knew what to do. Now he knew what to do, but the overall company, the overall arching HR and arching organization that works with her couldn't fathom that someone would do this. And so even though they're on my list, they're on my target list, because even though there are solutions to be brought, it was easier to be able to let go of a person than it was to stand the daily harassment from her abuser. And if it's hard for an employer to, to stand the, the daily harassment, what's it like for her at home? And now she's unemployed. So there are that 32,000 jobs, that's real. And abusers, whether male or female, institute that kind of abuse. For me, how it played out is, well, sweet, you don't take that job. You don't need that job. If you stay, if you take that job, you're going to make, you know, you're going to be traveling so much more. Um, and you'd think, given what he was doing, he would want me to take the job but his ego couldn't stand that I would have made more money than him. And the economic cost at a minimum for survivors, for women, it's about $110,000 negative economic impact from domestic violence. For men, it's about a $32,000 negative impact when experiencing domestic violence. 
So these numbers are substantial. Um, they're, they're significant. They even go up higher. In 2018, up to $55 billion of an economic impact on domestic violence on the workplace. And as of 2019, the CDC, now factor in 2019, doesn't even include COVID, and Randy alluded to this, because we've got immeasurable amounts of people whose only sole source of escape was work, and now they're at home, or now they're doing a hybrid. So the CDC, as of 2019, $3.6 trillion in the U.S. alone for the economic impact of domestic violence on the workplace. That includes lost time, that includes healthcare costs, that includes legal services that folks tap into. $3.6 trillion of an economic impact as it relates to domestic violence. And if you think about statistically, we know 43, 47%-ish of people in the workforce are experiencing some kind of abuse. But if you layer in silence and you layer in shame, those numbers go even higher. So this is where we come in with solutions. And this is pretty much my life mission of what I intend to do for the rest of my very long and very healthy life. So I'm going to look in here because Mike, um, Mike's hopping off for a meeting. Yeah, let me let me Hi. ask you something, Carolyn. You were um you were carrying this burden, but you were still a high performer. And so you were able to keep this secret because you were living in the car, you were changing the hotel restrooms, but you couldn't have been your best self oh, because no. of this burden that you're carrying around, no matter how well you were doing, you, your company was still missing out. You were missing out on you being your best. When you look back, are there things that you wish someone had asked or signs that you wish someone had picked up on and known or were you just so good at concealing it? No one could have known. Great. I love that question too. I just had a conversation with someone yesterday. Um, if you see something, there are ways to say to a person, I've noticed this about you. Is everything okay? Um, and that's just a general, and, and someone can ask or, or you know, answer that or not. You can just slide in them. Hey, I found this interest. I heard this great podcast. My pod, the podcasts I do get sent all over the place. Um, maybe you should listen to it. Um, you can just gently approach. You know, there are resources if there are things going on at home that bother you. And I, we, we like to call it language neutral. We don't say abuse a whole lot when we're talking with folks. We say, what are the feelings you're having in your relationship? Um, whether it's at work or it's, it's family or it's in your, you know, cause abuse can, can trickle out, but as we're talking about intimate partner violence in this situation, um, are you sad? Do you worry? Do you think there might be lies? Do you live in fear? Do you have any pain in your relationship? Because if you say, are you being abused? People shy away from that. No, no, no. They deflect. Even when covered in, blues, in bruises, um, people who have survived abuse will say, oh, that's not me, you know, because it's not that bad. Like I've seen movies or I know a friend who was strangled or I watched my mother be beat my entire life. And it's not bad as that. So when you use more of the feelings in a relationship, and you know there are resources for that, and just talk it out, toss it out there. Because what you have to realize is, if you do that, they may sit on that. A, a person who receives the information you've given may sit on it and and eventually act. The beautiful thing we have at Safe and Harm's Way, if you're on our website and you're a survivor looking, you have one button to click and it erases everything, and all of a sudden you know what the weather's like in San Diego because the Weather Channel pops up. And it looks like you've been searching for weather. So you have safety mechanisms that we've built in place for people in case they're being watched or suddenly someone comes in the room. And so those kinds of questions and asking around that are, are excellent ways to start a conversation. You also need to realize the flip side of that is if someone approaches you that it's met 
that you meet that person with kindness and an interest and compassion because it might be the one time they decide to reach out. It might be the one time they ask for something. And, and as a compliment to you, if, if somebody living in that experience confides in you, it's because you are a trustworthy, authentic soul and they recognize it. So that's, that's one component, that's one layer of it. The second layer of it is whether you've experienced abuse or you are in that world and, and, and you're watching someone you, you think is being abused. You have to decide at some point to speak up and to ask the person. So I did that, I did that. My boss who at the time my manager is a two tour um, Afghanistan, Afghanistan veteran, very tall man, much younger than me. And he and I were riding along and he said to me, are you okay? And that's all I said. And I said, you know, Stephen, I'm, I'm not okay, actually. And I'm probably okay to talk about it for 10 minutes. And then I, I need you to, I need to not talk about it anymore. I said, can you handle that dynamic? And we we talk about that with survivors. I can talk to you for about 10 minutes and then I, I lose my myself. So, um, so we talked for 10 minutes and I gave him the nutshell of what was happening. And that man sprang into action. He wanted to know what I needed. He, need, he wanted to know if he could donate hotel points for my stays. He contacted our corporate security um, at our company and they called to let me know the ways to, to safely secure my home and the hints to watch out for when it's indicative of someone trying to break in your car or someone trying to break in your windows. And then he contacted HR and he con and had HR work within the programs they had with my health system. And there was some a nurse that called me every Friday at two o'clock to see if I was okay. Now, that's the beauty of what we do at Epizon is realizing that most health plans and EAP programs have these services in place, but they're never talked about. They're never highlighted to any employee. And if you're dealing with, at a minimum, 47% of your workforce experiencing some form of abuse, and that's not what you tee off with as a platform, as, hey, here's how we invest in our employees. Here's how we invest in the community. That's, you're missing an opportunity to be a good steward and show up on the earth and say, hey, you know what? We care about our employees so much, whether you publicize it to the out, outer world or you publicize it internally to those who work for you, we care about you so much that this is part of your health plan. If he hadn't done that, I would not have known that Hyatt Legal Services, which is a benefit for most companies, has a program. And when you go to get a restraining order, Statistically, you are more inclined to get that restraining order if you have lawyer representation. I got it for free. And Jim Pites showed up with me to have my, my, to get my restraining order every single time. And it functioned under my Hyatt Legal Services of my employer. So we do that in highlighting those solutions because they're already there for corporations. We just train them how to, to tee it up. We brand it specifically for them and we give it out there because that's a tiny little change that saves lives. And the final thing that I would, would say, if you have family members, if you know someone in your world and they show up in bruises, ask if they're okay. And that seems simple. And that seems, well, of course, there is yet a survivor I've talked to who's shown up with bruises that someone asked if they were okay or if they needed help. Because again, it's much easier for people to deflect. It's much easier for folks to say, well, she's so smart, she would never tolerate that kind of behavior or he's so intelligent. I mean, surely he's not, you know, he's not experiencing any kind of abuse. And the physical manifestation of them is there. You know, I have this very um, fabulous woman um, and I just did this interview that's gonna be published and I, I called her out in it, um, Mary Ricketts. Um, Mary Ricketts reached out to me and um, offered to, to, 
do some of her coaching with me and give it to me, you know, as just as, hey, you be my guinea pig. I'm working on some new initiatives. Can we do it? And Mary Ricketts has the most beautiful way. She says, I've got my eyes on you. Hey, I think you're an incredible person. And my eyes tell me that what I see, you might be struggling with. Now that's Mary's style. You can, you can, you know, tweak it to your style. But when you see something, say something, kind of like what we hear in the airport. If you see something, say something. Because people living in that kind of abuse have zero idea how to even start to speak it. And if you, as an authentic person who shows up in the world, offers one or two resources, then that person living with the abuse feels less alone in the world. And maybe it's the one step she can take that then takes to another step. Maybe it's the first step that, that a gentleman can take that takes the next three steps. And it's just moment by moment and person by person that folks can start to take the steps to get out of the abuse and start to lead a life that is filled with, we call it a platinum platter life at Safe and Home's Way. And that means that only the best people, honest, truth, authentic experiences, food, fun, travel, get to enter your world in this platinum platter life because you decided to start taking tiny steps forward in your own journey as it relates to abuse. Mary is awesome. I love Mary. She's a, she's a great person. <laughs> she is. She's one of my favorites. Let's go to Michelle. Carolyn, thanks so much for sharing your story. Gosh, you're such a strong person. It's, it's, it just seems like education is so important for this topic for everyone. And it's that, you know, topic that people don't want to talk about. How do you approach companies to help with this? Are you going into their HR teams and you're going in and doing training? Is it just going through the EAP program and it's kind of a private thing that they're offering to people? Or are you actually going in and presenting to employees or how does that work? Great question. All for all three or four of those buckets you described, those are the buckets in which Epizon Strategy Solutions plays with employers. So we do anything as simple as a lunch and learn, where for an hour we talk about the resources available and the identification. The last time I did that with the United Way, um, I, I had a call from the director the next day. And she was, and there were probably about 250 people on their team. And for that approach, I, th this is how that worked. So they are people out in the community, right? They're in people's homes. So they're first line eyes. They're first line folks interacting with people. And she wanted to, to build this in so that they could identify it in their customers or in, in their clients. Um, and I asked her, I said, if we, I was the last presentation of the day. And I said, can I tack on 10 minutes? And, and we're not going to call it abuse. We're going to call it relationships and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take what we took for, for customer interactions. I'm going to boil it down to an employee perspective. Um, but we're going to use words like healthy relationships. And are you feeling sad? What I explained before she called me the next day and she was kind of, she's like, well, we, you know, you're the last one of the day, but okay, I'll give you 10 minutes. She called me the next day and she said, oh my gosh, Carolyn, our lines are ringing off the hook. We have a huge problem with domestic violence and our employees. And I said, oh, no, you don't. You have a statistically relevant problem as it relates to domestic violence with your employees. So that allowed them, because we, on the back end, we have, I have a lot of, you know, I gather a lot of information. Again, it goes back to being a data geek. We gather a lot of information. And so we tailor make it. And for that lunch and learn, they just wanted, you know, that initial hit and then they wanted uh, a follow-up with upper management. So that's what we're doing. Some people, mm -hmm. you know, when I approach um, a company, I approach who my contacts are. I am my father's daughter. And much like the eight people that I contacted on who were the smartest, who are the people I know within organizations that can get me to the next person? Um, I used to love my dad watching him work a room and he knew everybody's name and he knew who their partners were and he knew what their kids did. And he just authentically showed up like that. And um, I'm, I'm cut of his same cloth. I'm so glad I have his genes uh, running through my DNA. And, 
So I use those connections. And so when whatever the point of entry is at an organization, I just get to the right person. Sometimes that's HR. Sometimes it's directors who, who want to work with an HR. I work also then with their um, EAP, with the company's EAP, and I work with, with benefits coordinators so that I can make sure as I'm talking about their programming of what they currently offer employees, that I bring to light everything that they want to make sure and that I'm accurate in that presentation. We use case studies. So we use a lot of statistics and our favorite call out line at Epizon is, did you know? Did you know that 32,000 full-time jobs are affected by domestic violence? So we throw out the, the problem with statistics and then we offer the solution to meet that problem. And that can even be an all day long training where we go through, hey, here's the signs, here's the resources, here's your, your company's protocol. Even though there's a latest study that was done in 2017 that said 54% of higher level CEOs, C-suite and above, realized domestic violence is a problem, only 60% of corporations in the United States have a policy around it. Now that's twofold. The policy can, can say as a retention tool, as a recruitment tool, we care about the community. We know that that close to a, the 50%, 47% of our employees can be affected by this. We wanna make sure that they can show up and Randy pointed it out, show up authentically and fully in their job to their best capacity. And they're not doing it if they don't have the right resources. They're certainly not doing it if people aren't aware that abusers step in and purposefully sabotage employers and employees. And by the way, 75%, of the time, survivors report that that abusers showed up at their work. You need a policy for safety because gun violence is a thing that if an abuser shows up to work to harm the person working there, he will take out an additional 20% of collateral and 20% of collateral are other humans in the workplace. So you need a policy, whether it's a policy that outlines it for people you employ, or it's a policy against. So I'll give you an example there for against. My abuser used his company cell phone to facilitate much of the abuse against me. He used his company cell phone to secure drugs and to solicit sex online for himself. Now, because I like a challenge, Within less than 60 seconds, I could trace his corporate cell phone back, as could anyone else, to his corporation. Because he gave out his picture as he solicited drugs and sex. Now, anyone, either the person he's interacting with online or some jealous partner that finds out, can easily know where, that, where he works can easily take his picture and find on LinkedIn exactly who he is. So when abusers use company collateral like cell phones or laptops or travel account expenses to issue abuse, that's also a loss to corporations. And we have case studies on that. So I tailor make, again, if I'll, I'll Stoke up. I'll, I'll use my sales skills and I'll close you. Um, I will say, I, did I answer your questions as far as I, I, I connect via who I know? And sometimes that's through HR, sometimes through the direct um, managers. I craft the solutions with Epizon to tailor make that to the corporation, which can include mm -hmm. anything from a lunch and learn to an all day event. Mm -hmm. I'm doing for Boston Scientific in Costa Rica. I'm coordinating a day. Um, to honor the international elimination of violence against women. And I'm giving a talk. I've hired um, a recruited yoga, trauma-informed yoga. So as across um, boundaries and across countries, there's going to be uh, current estimates of over 400 people doing yoga, trauma-informed yoga at the same time. And then afterwards, we're going to have a, a session on resources that not only includes what survivors can do, but also how that manifests in, in children, um, junior high to high school, mm. so that parents can identify in children if they're experiencing mm. um, abuse as well. So we're, we're going to do a well-rounded approach. It's something like that. It's tailor-made to what the organization wants. But let me ask you, I mean, you're the, the final. Did I answer that question? Yeah, for you? Yes. great example. Thank you so much.
You're welcome. Thank you for asking, and I appreciate it, Michelle. Mary wasn't going to turn her camera on until we talked glowingly about her, so <laughs> now she's uh, here. So let's go to Mary. <laughs> Mary Ricketts. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I just, I just don't even know where to start. Um, I, I love my, my Carolyn Hammond. Um, here, here's a question, and and. I think it's important because I think we need to talk about these things when, especially in our smaller organizations, when it comes to, you know, the, the person that shows up with a black eye or, you know, you can see the bruise or you're like, you know, she looked like that or that person, because it could be male or female. How important is it for us to, to make sure we go outside of HR, to make sure we can bring in those external people to help support. Um, and I'm going back to my HR days, you know, in telecommunications at AT&T. And it's like, oh, you know, we, we're going to send you to EAP. You know, how important is that? And I know you were, you were already starting to talk about creating those plans and creating policies and procedures. But how important is that for us to address it and make sure we've got those good external resources for them? Love that. It's vital. It's vital because some people may not, if you, if you get them in touch with HR and EAP, they still might feel a little bit of shame in taking advantage of those services. So, you know, there's this beautiful, I, I, in my speaking, I have a fabulous mentor named Stan Phelps and Stan is, um, has worked with fortune 100 companies, traveled the world, we're speaking, and he's written several books. And one of his books is pink goldfish. Now, pink goldfish that says that you take the difference maker in what could be perceived as possibly a negative and you turn it into the positive for your organization. And that concept of pink goldfish was vital to the evolution of Safe and Harm's Way. We are an online community. And fortunately or unfortunately, as domestic violence rates rose during the pandemic, because we are an online community, people could tap into our services whenever they wanted to. People could access the services at three o'clock in the morning. People could access the services at four o'clock in the afternoon. When you layer in that people are also afraid and shame-filled, I mean, it's the part of the reason why I use confidence as one of those, I remember I talked about confidence and patience and the truth, is I want to be able by my own example to give other people the ability to, to slowly rebuild their confidence because it's shame-filled. It, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, this, this person, this, this abuser worked really hard to craft a facade. That's what abusers do. And they have a protocol. You would think they follow the same workbook. And so there's a shame and what I experienced but all I was doing, and all most survivors do, was try to get back to the beginning of the relationship when it's love and wine and poetry. And you're just working hard to get back there. So that shame that you've allowed what to happen as you were just trying to get back to the beginning of love is overwhelming. And it makes people not want to go to get help. So if they can do it online, there's our pink goldfish. We're online. And the beautiful outcome of the pink goldfish is we're also international. So we can affect people all over the world. We've done work in Costa Rica, in Italy, in the UK, and South Africa. So people can show up as they want to, and no one has to know. We also have partnerships. So in the community, outside of, to your point about HR, EAP, Mary, we have partnerships. We were in the process of creating an online portal where people could plug in their zip code and... Um, and find every domestic violence shelter in their area. Now that's key for a couple of reasons because policy laws are all driven locally. Of course, services are local. And we were creating this thing and it was massive. And back in the day, my retirement is what fueled this process. And I thought, how am I gonna pay for this? And boom, up shoots domesticshelters.org. And so talking about, again, I am my father's daughter. I contacted domesticshelters.org and I said, I love what you do. I love how you show up in the world. In my dream world, I just need to let you know that eventually you invite me to Thanksgiving dinner and I invite you to Christmas. That's how close I want our partnership to be. And it is. And they have already built 
a zip code driven data that anyone can pop in their zip code and find every resource available in their community. And the beautiful thing that outside resources bring is that is vetted organizations that offer assistance. You don't have to do the homework. Is this facility legitimate? Is that facility legitimate? And you also, in order to take advantage of their services at any domestic violence shelter, you don't have to live there. I got free counseling at Rosebrooks without living there. Because here's the other reason why you need outside help. New house alone, 12,000 unmet needs in the Kansas City area for survivors trying to navigate domestic violence. Newhouse um, KC covers everyone. They cover women, they cover men, they cover people who are gender fluid and transgender, and they help everyone. 12,000 unmet needs because there are only 342 beds in the Kansas City area that can house people trying to escape. So outside the community, when you can take advantage of their resources, without living there is vital. And when that allows someone who's dealing with shame and dealing with sadness and possibly on the run to take advantage of the outside area resources, means they can do it on their own time and they can do it at their own leisure. And then they can go one step at a time in the place that feels best to them. Does that answer your question, Ms. Mary? Absolutely, thank you, dear. And I'm so glad you're on. <laughs> Thank you. I said, so when you popped up, I was like, oh, she's here. Yes, I am. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There's so many ways I want to go here. Let me think of what's the best way to use our remaining time. Um, you know, Mike on here deals with folks that, are, that have uh, carried the burdens of trauma from war and from service. And I know at the end of his program, he always says the hardest parts ahead because you're going to want to return back to those same tough circumstances that brought you here. And I'm sure your situation is no different that the folks that have perhaps spent years in abuse, they might gravitate right back towards that, you know, after you've gotten them help, what do you do to help alter that trajectory of their life? Um, you know, statistically, that that is unfortunately what happens. Seven times on average is what it takes for a person experiencing abuse to leave and stay gone. You, you double down. You just continue to offer the resources and continue to say, here's what you can do. Do not. This next part's hard because I want to you never want to put yourself in um, danger. I just, I had a, a call from somebody who was, the friend was experiencing violence. She wanted to know what to do. I gave her the list of resources and, but it got to the point where her behavior directed at, at my friend um, was, was pretty egregious. So for safety's sake, she has distanced herself from that person, but will randomly shoot a text that says, hey, I, I stumbled across this. You might find it interesting. So there are ways because what you need to remember that if you distance yourself completely, cut off yourself completely from someone who's been navigating abuse, the abuser wins. Their sole purpose is to be so egregious in their behavior that the person and the prey, because it is, I mean, it's, it's as if you are hunted. Their sole goal is to isolate them, to make it difficult to leave to make them want to come back with, with the overarching theme of, oh my, there's never gonna be anybody who loves me like you do. There's never gonna be for you, anybody that loves you like I do. You need to stay with me. I miss you, come back. And it all seems perfect because you come back and the abuse cycle just starts again. So in being able to invest in someone that is a healthy level investment. And maybe it's, a, again, a text of, hey, I saw this, you might find it interesting, but you physically have to deal, you know, because the behaviors going on could, you know, make your life unsafe. Um, you sometimes have to put that distance there, but you can still be a conduit for resources. Um, I, I 
did a women's retreat a couple months back and it was a week-long retreat for women and i was a, a featured speaker and then i hung out and interacted for the the weekend with people and it was it was an amazing opportunity to connect in the course of my speech i said i was very lucky in that i traveled for a living so when things got bad at home i scheduled a business trip when i was tired of cowering in the corner or hiding behind doors or driving with him because he would try to veer the the car off the side of the road um i would schedule a business trip i said so somebody do the math for me if i scheduled a business trip let's say weekly on average over the course of eight years how many times would i have left because here's the kicker i consoled myself with the fact that as soon as i discovered what he was doing online i hatched a plan and left and i thought boom i beat that statistic i'm out but as my children will point out and as i discovered those business trips were my escape want to know how many times on average 412 the number of business trips I took to escape the, the mm -hmm. emotional and verbal and physical abuse at home. I am the unintended blowing the curve of that seven times that folks leave. So consistently giving the information is, is vital. And knowing that that's part of the process and not becoming one of the people that only adds to the layer of isolation is another is another part. Um, I'm seeing, I'll, uh, does that answer your question? Let me ask that first, Randy, does that answer your question? Yeah, and I think, you know, what's probably, you know, startling is that you were lucky you had a job that allowed that escape, whereas a lot of people don't they just go home in the evening and exactly. there is no escape. Exactly. And you alluded to it earlier, Randy, you said, you know, with the pandemic, the only escape might have been for people to go to work. And now some folks don't even have that. So it's more happening and more and more at home. And that's part of the, the equation that we don't even have the economic output for that. We don't even know yet what that looks like um, statistically for folks and what it looks like for people to have to navigate it, you know, and how employers need to, to navigate that themselves is part of the problem. And we'll find that out though, you know, as, as things unroll, we'll, we'll do that. I can stay, I can say that statistically with folks I work with, it's, it's significant, it's significant. And at Safe and Harm's Way, when the pandemic started um, and we put together a, um, a out of home advertising association because the one place that abusers can't issue isolation is when someone's driving down the road what they see and so we did a, an outreach in missouri and just in missouri our access to services increased by 312 percent so that goes back to mary's point about how important outside of hr and eap is it that community service an additional 312 percent um, access to our services in our community uh, at Safe and Homes Way. I'm going to plug one last thing into the chat. And this is something, you know, I alluded to a Platinum Platter Life. So this is the link to my author page. But in there is a PDF that you can get um, that is a three-pronged addressing. If you want a simple solution immediately to give to people, it talks about gratitude. And I mentioned my eight smartest people. Um, these are people randomly who showed up in the world for me with, with text messages and inspiration. And um, I think of, of my friend, Gina, who's a nurse practitioner, and I've known her for, well, since we were 14 or 15 years old. And I think every day I got something from her. So it's taking those quotes, it's taking those, those things, and it's putting in a list of fuel for gratitude to remember who you are, you know, much like writing down my name on a post-it, I had to remember who I am. And there are days, if you were in my office right now, you would see two crowns in various age, angles of the, the, if I need to put on a crown to remind myself who I am, then I do it. Um, so it's a way to virtually give folks a crown to wear um, as they navigate it. It also is the wheel of power and control. The wheel of power and control 
outlines all the different layers of abuse and how that abuse manifests and what that looks like in the real life. And my counseling at Rosebrooks, when they handed that to me, that's when the puzzle came in. It was, so this has been my life for eight years. I couldn't have labeled it, knew my feelings, couldn't have labeled it as abuse and boy, did it fire on every single function. And the third thing is a book that I recommend that's a free download on Amazon that talks about how people can deal with their abuser. And Mary, you asked a great question, which probably, maybe Randy will have me back. We'll do like a, a bi-yearly, um, but we can address it from the, the side of the abuser. What can we offer content-wise and help-wise for the abuser um, to, to seek solutions? Part of me as a consequence is what I want to say at, at the beginning, but we don't have enough consequences on that front. But there certainly are things that we can offer um, at Safe and Harm's Way and Epizon for people who are issuing abuse and the resources they can to get the assistance in the hope that that assistance they get transfers to the people they love or claim to love while they issue abuse. So I pop that in. You can sign up for that. Um, it's it's called about the platinum plan of life, you know, and creating it uh, with the resources that you can to take those very first next steps. Yeah, I, uh, Mary's comment there prodded me to think, well, if we're working with the 42% of the people that are being abused, we're working with the abuser too. Mm -hmm. And and my thought, the country boy in me was to drag him out back and uh, and do some private coaching, but that's probably not the best <laughs> Randy, that's solution. What that <laughs> I said consequence, <laughs> a neutral language, because yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> it's just a private coaching session. That's all. Yeah. Yes. Uh, let, let's uh, let me end with something hopefully positive. You talked about the company that terminated the poor lady, and that sounds horrible. And I think we all agree that sounds pretty misguided. But have you seen any companies weave this in in a positive way into their culture and make positive change in people's lives? We have, you know, the, the best evolution of that I, example I can give personally is Boston Scientific. Uh, Boston Scientific in Costa Rica has gone from just partnering with us on resources to now that full day. And it has grown from their affiliation company or their affiliation program for women within Boston Scientific to their affiliation program with men in Boston Scientific and to their queer community outlying as an affiliation group within Boston Scientific. So what we started out as addressing the women's organization has grown to men, has grown to people in the queer community and has been integrated across all of Boston Scientific as a go-to resource now for what we provide at Safe and Harm's Way. I've seen that happen you know, in big and small ways at the United Way. I've seen it happen in, in the integration of you know, just speaking engagements and what people take away from that and back to their company. So. The story resonates and the story and statistics of what we can do one person and one moment at a time to positively, positively impact the world. Uh, you know, our tagline at Safe and Harm's Way is join us, take our hand and let's go change the world. And we firmly see that happening as we've evolved. I mean, it in my pathway on this, you know, it's five and a half years since escape. It's only officially two and a half years since I started Safe and Harm's Way. And we've grown internationally with a team of 16 people, amazing humans, amazing humans who show up in the world every day at their places employment of employment and in their own communities because we cover people who are most marginalized, including people of color, including men and including people in the queer community um, because we, we assess every person and their potential to create a platinum platter life. It's what we do. Well, your story, every time it hits me right here, it's just, uh, it's very um, uh, courageous of you to not only share your story, but then to, to use that to go out and try and help others based on your experiences. So you're just doing incredible work and there's no doubt all of us on here are touched somewhere in our life, either at work or in our family through these circumstances. And hopefully you just give us all a little bit of insight of what we can do. I thank you for the invitation to be here. I thank everyone for your time and your commitment and, and the sacredness and looking at all your faces as we talked um, that are, that are on camera, the level of invested 
concern and participation, I so appreciate because it is difficult. I can talk about my story now without crying in a, in a snot nose mess and purple welts, I break out in purple welts. Um, but to still repeat it with an audience that is looking for solutions and asking great questions, that will be fuel that lasts me for many, many means. So thank you for having me here today. And thank you for investing your time with me. Thanks, Carol. And thanks everyone for being here. It was, uh, it was awesome to be together and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. I appreciate you. Everyone have a great weekend. Have a good weekend, folks. Bye.